0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. I am so thankful for the privilege to be able to come up here and present the word this morning. Thank you, Dr. Raven. I I loved what you had said um, just before worship. God is an amazing God. And we can experience His presence in worship, in the Word. And today what we'll be talking about is experiencing His presence through and in and because of suffering. You see, God is up to something good. And that promise, that truth, is not for everyone in this room today. Really, the Scriptures are going to tell us that this is the reality to those who love God. That means if you're here in this room, not really sure about your relationship with God, not convinced of the gospel, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you'll get to hear this truth, but it's not for you. You get the day off, kick back, relax, jot down notes if you'd like. But this truth, that God is up to something good, is the reality. For all that love God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 28 through 29. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, uh, yeah, when I was 11 years old. And that year, my mom was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. It's a very aggressive form of cancer, and after two years of her battling with it, she passed away when I was 13. And at that time, there there was a season where I was in denial, and, and when I first started to come to terms with it, I needed someone. And they weren't there. And I learned and decided that I didn't need anyone. I don't need anyone. I'm strong enough. I can make my way through this. I Clench my knuckles and hold back tears and and march through suffering. Because I'm strong enough and I'm enough and, and I can do it. I don't need anybody. And I began to be alone, to feel alone. There's a difference between those two. You can be surrounded by people and still feel alone, have a full family and friends around, and be utterly lonely. And I was, young boy, alone, feeling alone at least, wrestling with the question, how could a good God allow a faithfully following mother of a 13-year-old boy to die. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren." I memorized these verses, I preached these verses, I counseled with these verses. Uh, I would go around telling people, look at how great these verses are for my life. As I gritted my teeth and pushed through suffering, these must be true, look at how God is working. I remember one night I, I had a friend in high school. His dad was an alcoholic, brink of death, really struggling. And I went to him and I told him these verses. That he just needs to believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. But I did not believe these verses. It's one thing to know them, and I guess I wanted to believe that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purposes, for those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. If these verses tell us that God is up to something good, I wanted to believe that. But I didn't understand this passage. I'd heard it a million times in church, and I just thought maybe I just need to believe harder, grit my teeth more. If I can just stoically not cry and suck up my emotions and push through it, that must be spiritual maturity. Not feeling pain because God's sovereign. Apathy is not spiritual maturity is with apathy you cannot have joy. My life was miserable, I felt alone, and while I went around preaching these verses, I knew them, but I did not believe them. Everything changed when I came to believe that God truly is up to something good. If you've never heard these verses before, I'm really excited you'll get to read them with me. But a lot of us have heard these verses a million times. It's the go-to passage on suffering in so many churches. And I wonder if we've really wrestled through this passage. Realized what it means for us and how it changes everything. Spoil the ending. The only way to have joy, to not only endure through suffering, but to understand it, is to see Jesus in it, how Jesus is working through it. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out. If you can raise it up, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It's really easy for us when we read the Word, to look at it, to study it, to think hard about it, to place it here beside us. And I want to invite you today to live under the Word, that what it says about our suffering is actually true for the Christian. So if you'll join me, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, Father, I believe your word. Help my unbelief. Give me the words to say, to present this truth. Give us the ears to hear it well. Lord, we want to be in your presence, to know you more, to be more like you. Help us today. In your son's name, amen. God is. He is powerful. He is at work. The passage, verse 28, it begins, and we know that God causes all things. Here, of course, this causing is that he orchestrates everything for his ultimate end. He is in control. He is not caught off guard. He is sovereign and supreme. Everything passes through his hand. He either causes it directly or allows it to happen. What an easy statement to make on our theological reflection papers. I'm writing about who God is. Yep, he's the sovereign king of the universe. Next line. Do we truly believe this? I think for a long time in my life, I thought, I don't need God. I don't need anyone. The only one who's going to stick up for Drew is Drew. And I better do it well. Because it all rests on my shoulders, my success, my failure, my sufferings and pain. It's on me, and I need to do well. And if I don't, I'm the only one to blame. How do things change if I really believe God is in control? That even in my suffering, as I'm cut off in traffic, the Lord is there. As I fail my test, the Lord placed me there. As I lose my mother, God is still in control. I hardly react like that. When things don't go my way, when I suffer, when there is hurt, I complain. Bitterly complain. I start seething with anger. I get so upset and frustrated at the situation. I want things to go different. This isn't right. Life should be better for me. And I start asking this rhetorical, why to God? Why do you have me here? And then I move on. I don't listen to the answer. I don't want to hear it. Because I know the answer. If I listened, why Because Jesus Christ placed me here in this suffering. I don't want to hear that anyone else is in control of my life other than myself. I think this is a really radical statement, really rare in the church. I don't think most people live like this where they would say, why am I suffering? Why has this terrible event happened? Oh, Jesus Christ caused or allowed it to happen. When we trust that God is involved, that's not to say the pain isn't real, but it is to acknowledge God is involved, present. I think we need to understand God truly is powerful. That when the scripture says He causes all things, He does. The bad days and the good days, those that we want to praise and those we want to make requests for, God is. If that's where it ended, what a hopeless message. God placed you in your suffering. I'll see you all next week. Um, (laughs) But it doesn't end there for those who love God. See, it's not just that God is, but it's that God is up to something. See, the passage says, and we know that God causes all things, to work together. The sufferings that God has allowed or caused that he has placed you in are not pointless or purposeless. It's not just meaningless suffering because the world is absurd. God is up to something. I mean, this is the truth we see all throughout Scripture. We look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis, Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, thought dead by his father, sold into slavery, he's then unjustly condemned, thrown into prison, forgotten, and left to rot. Was God in control of that situation? At the end of Joseph's life, he says in Genesis fifty twenty, as for you, that's Joseph speaking to the brothers who betrayed him, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Because of the sufferings of Joseph, the Lord did a great act, saving many people from famine. God was at work. This is true of Paul's life. He's imprisonment, beaten and flogged. And what does he say about his imprisonment? Philippians 1.13, he talks about, oh, And the whole Praetorian guard heard. All of these Roman guards high up in rank that might have never heard the gospel heard it because of the sufferings Paul was enduring. God was up to something. But does God have a purpose for our lives? Is God working our suffering for something? Scripture seems to say so. John 14, 12, Jesus talking to his disciples near the end before he he, uh, goes to the crucifixion. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, that's us, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus has promised big things are coming. Your life as a believer Is not pointless or aimless. There is a purpose, and the sufferings that the Lord has allowed and placed you to be in are moving you towards that purpose. We must prayerfully consider our sufferings in this way that as I find myself in situations I'd rather not be in, suffering and in pain, that I ask, What are you doing, God? I trust that you're in control. I need to depend on you. I can't do it alone. I'm not enough. I need you. And I know you're doing something. What is it? That my reaction ought not be this rhetorical why, but a trusting why that I might know Jesus more. I'm going to be honest with you. I pretty quickly came to this conclusion when I was studying this passage after my mom passed. And when I stopped here, it led to a more miserable life than before. You see, I I had moved from my life sucks And everything sucks. And this is absurd, too. I guess God is sovereign. And I guess God is doing something. And maybe he's going to save some souls through evangelism. Or maybe he'll put me in some position to save people from famine, I guess. And and God is going to use my life as some little puppet to accomplish his goals. Some people trust the Lord in that, knowing he's good. And that's incredible. I don't believe enough for that. I found myself so angry and upset at God that God would allow suffering in my life for some vague help of other people for some purpose that I cannot see that I do not know that other people might be saved I'm a selfish person and that was not satisfying it was true and I went around preaching it and teaching it and internally I was so upset at the Lord that he would allow me to suffer for his glory his purpose and his plan. God has the right to do that. If that's where the story ended, God would be good. But I would be unsatisfied. To just be a soldier set up like a toy to go do marching orders without God. But the Lord did not stop there. See, the Scripture says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God is not just Powerfully involved in situations, in control and sovereign. God is not just up to some vague purpose in your life that He has the right to do. No, God is up to something good to those who love Him. This promise is only for believers that the sufferings in your life, not only was God in control of, not only is God doing something vaguely for other people, God actually cares for you, that God is using your present suffering for something good. This isn't, of course, to say that suffering is good and we should be so, you know, happy about life, being miserable, but it is to acknowledge, not without the tears, but through the tears, God is good. And he's doing something that he says is good for me. So when I look back throughout my life history, my friend's life's history, throughout the history of the world, and I see the incredible suffering and misery, and say that God is sovereign, I'm either left saying, God goofed. He's in control, but he just didn't know what he was doing in those sufferings. Or I'm left to say, I don't understand it. I don't understand why or how, but I know this is the best life. That what God is doing is great. I would hate it to be left there as well. A vague goodness that we don't understand. That would be okay, but he goes on. He explains one part of it. He says in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, to what end? To become conformed to the image of his son. I think that's some Paul language to say it makes us more like Jesus. That the sufferings that we endure in this present time, God allowed not only did he allow it, he's actually using it, and he's not just using it for some vague purpose. He is using it for your good, that you would be made more like Jesus, conformed to be like Jesus, that you might experience Jesus, that his presence might be made more of a reality in your life. Romans 8:28 Through 29 is often used as this theological justification for your suffering. And that's true, but much more than that, it is the hope that in our suffering we become made more like Jesus, that we might experience Jesus. Be transformed by Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to see Jesus in our suffering, to know where we're headed with Jesus because of our suffering. We are made like God by suffering. James talks about this in chapter one that it produces endurance within us. Romans earlier talks about how it produces character and hope. Suffering is accomplishing a purpose. And are we convinced that it really is good? It's easy to say that it's doing something because that's just sort of the Christian church we grew up in. But to be personally convinced that no, I got caught off in traffic, I failed my test, a mother passes away, a family member, a relationship breaks up, this is bad, I can cry over it, and I know that God Actually cares for me. That he will use this that I might know him more. See, I'm not alone. I'm not enough on my own. I am not sufficient or strong enough to white-knuckle my way through suffering as some stoic uh, spiritual maturity. I'm not alone. I don't have to live in that miserable way. Uh, when I cry, and I do, and you will, should, I'm not alone. God is in control. I need his help. I need what he is doing and how it is best for me that I might be in the presence of Jesus. To walk with him in my suffering. This happens when I'm in suffering and I stop. I need to realize God is in control. I need to realize that God is working and trust that he is working something good. That in my suffering, I might see how I'm being made more like Jesus so that I can experience more life in Jesus. This is one of the big reasons if you don't love God, you can take a back seat because how your sufferings are promised to work out is that you might know Jesus more. That I can have such hope and trials and troubles that through this, I get to share with my Savior. Paul talks elsewhere in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, he says... For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. For God is a God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God the joy and hope that a Christian can have in suffering starts and ends in the joy and hope that we have in knowing Christ more. It's not purposeless. It's not aimless. God is in control. We can depend on Him that we might know Him more. Not just in some future theoretical day, but today. Today. This is a weighty passage. Not just one to beat over the head when things go bad and you feel bad. And oh, well, you shouldn't feel so bad because don't you know he works all things for good? No. But this is the place for joy to know Christ more. I encourage you all be in prayer. Ask the Lord that He might reveal why He has allowed the sufferings in your life. Ask the Lord how He's working in it. How is He revealing Himself in greater and deeper ways? How can you know Him more and experience joy in life because of Him and through Him? Without this truth, your sufferings really are meaningless. Life is just absurd and we just suffer, but because of Christ, we instead can have joy. Allow me to pray. Father, help my unbelief. Lord, these are easy things to say from a pulpit and hard things to say when life and sufferings do come. They're easy things to know in the word and hard things to truly believe. Help us to become convinced that you are the greatest thing for us, that you are all we need, that you are worthy of praise and adoration, that we need to come to you and you will be the place for life and joy, Lord. That only happens by working by your spirit, Lord. And we ask that you would do that upon this campus. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.